0: Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. I'm excited to dive in with Ada Paris, futurist, systems artist, board advisor, storyteller, In short, a cultural shaman, definitely a rebel with a purpose, changing the way people view themselves, career, and work in general. Key to our future, recognizing the power of art and the role it can play as a force for good. Ada, great to see you. Hi Kate, how are you? I am doing well. I've got to ask, where in the world is Ada today?
1: today I am back in London I'm in Greenwich but yes I've been traveling so I've just got back from Portugal.
0: oh my gosh well listen thanks so much and making the time and the busy schedule I really appreciate it and I've been looking so forward to this conversation since we connected a bit ago.
1: yes me too me too
0: So listen one of the things I want I always find really helpful in starting a conversation is I love to paint a picture and get a sense of how people got to where they are today especially given that there's so much pressure and I think a false belief that people have such straight and narrow and vertical career paths.
1: I now refer to my my earlier part of my career as my research and development phase so I did a degree in pure and applied maths and educational studies um, was trained to be a primary school teacher, went down that path for a little bit, r- but really moved into the understanding how people think and grow and learn. And I love maths and I love physics and sciences because I see that all of that as art. And so, you know, mathematical equations and formulas are all forms of art to me and they're stories. So I've always been a storyteller. And just as I'm answering your question, you can tell there's a story coming um, but my career started off really working in Lon- um, at London Business School. Uh, started off as a secretary, kind of reading um, the MBA program, paperwork, really got into marketing communications, trained and did some qualifications to become a marketeer. Moved into advertising, but the business side. So really trying to understand how you make money from the process of communication and all the kind of sciences behind that. Um, I wasn't really interested in the craft more the, the, you know, the ideas from there left and helped set up and run the School of Communication Arts, which is an advertising entrepreneurship school that was set up now been running for, I think, 13 years, top advertising school in the country. Um, still one of my biggest achievements. Um, and then from there went off to Burning Man, discovered myself as as many people in our worlds would do. But I think one of the big things that I take from there was recognising that has 10 core principles and that everybody uh, agrees to. And I realised that I had to, three years in a row going out there, spending a the fortune, only to be myself for that one week of the year. And I mean, went I need to be able to take those core principles off the flyer and live them every day. And the reason I share that is because that's what I do now, is help myself, help people recognise what are their values. And that your values aren't something that just sits in work, but it's also part of your life. And so you bring those things together. So from there, came back and got into the world of tech, went to work for Telefonica and helped to set up. I built their UK technology accelerator program and the mentor network, became a futurist and got into this space of people just went, you're a storyteller how are you able to go to Burning Man and have this creative side, but still have this great career in advertising and tech? And that was when I was first asked to start public speaking. And I didn't know who I, what really was happening, but it became this opportunity of, I think, what I realised, and it's something that I'm seeing happening now, especially in this mid pandemic world, is that recognising that we're all storytellers and that we have to really understand who we are first before we can try and think about the stories we project. And there's this, what I call the culture gap of the stories that we're projecting on the outside versus what's happening on the inside. And so that's where a lot of that came to. And so now finally I'm in this beautiful space where I have been able to create this you know, niche offering of skills and services where I bring together my original loves of Digital algorithmic technology, quantum physics and mechanics, spirituality, um, you know, the hippie side of me, art and immersive experiences. And I've brought all of those things together under this umbrella of cyborg shamanism, which we can talk about later.
0: So the reason why I love your story so much is because I think now more than ever, post-COVID, so many people took that time to have a deep think, whether they wanted to or not, it was as if you were drawn and and you're going to pay attention to this. And you really have to shift the focus from outside to inside and really get grounded in what, as you said, what makes you tick? How am I spending my time? With whom am I surrounding myself? And am am I even awake and alive? And I, I heard a really scary stat that it was something along the lines of 41% of people it's expected over this next year to 18 months are really going to, they're calling it the era of resignation. And I think that your story and your ability and and what you've done to, to shift and change and evolve is going to be incredibly inspirational, but also frankly, really instructive for folks.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I do believe that The pandemic, as devastating as it has been, we needed it to force us to stop. And what's happened is we've all had existential crisis, regardless of who you are, whether individually or businesses. And I think that what we've done is we have realised that we were keeping this separation between it and us, our personal and our professional, our our home lives and our businesses, and realised that they're all the same thing because we are the common denominator. And so if we're not okay, then they won't be okay. And the same way that we need reassurance and self-reflection and all of those things and the existential crisis of who am I, what impact do I want to have, what's my measure of success, we we are starting to do that with businesses as well. And I think that what's happened is people, business leaders, well, actually all of us have become less risk averse.
0: Agreed, which I think is incredibly exciting because we certainly believe that within every person, there's a change maker, and every business can be a force for good. And so you have to stop worrying about what other people are thinking and doing, and then just make the actions that are going to make the difference. And you have to slow down a beat and realize that actually by doing so is going to not have the, the horrific long-term consequences that we've all been experiencing over the last 50 years, I'll say, from shareholder.
1: Yeah, what you say reminds me of a Terence McKenna quote that talks about being able to throw ourselves off the abyss, feel that fear, throw yourself off the abyss and realise that it's a feather bed. That it's OK to let go because we've all been holding on so tightly that pre-COVID, it was either nostalgia, make X place great again, you know, empires, all of those things, or everybody is a futurist and nobody was a nowist. Nobody was looking at what's happening now and that's what's happened.
0: And as we all know, especially when you're more spiritually oriented, when you do focus on the present and the now, well, okay, the future takes care of itself.
1: Yeah, well, I believe what we're doing when we focus on now is we're engineering serendipity because of the choices that we're making in now.
0: That's a great way of putting it. So along those lines... When you look back over the last five years, what have been some of the biggest surprises in your mind, given your broad expanse of, of areas and, and dots that have since connected?
1: I think I'm surprised that we're still talking about creating a business case for diversity. The fact that we still talk about diversity in terms of quite... Um, specific verticals that women or LGBT plus or you know, ethnic diversity or neurodiversity, we as humans are intersectional in our very identities. And so why and how would we be able to separate those things out? So when you talk, I refer to this as puppeteering. What we should be doing is puppeteering and recognise that you move one string and something else moves, but they're all interconnected. So you can't talk about... The gender pay gap without talking about race or you know uh, health and mental health and well-being and i think that is what i find frustrating that we've saturated ourselves with statistics and stories and still we're in the we need more data we need more insights really yeah what are we afraid of
0: well you know what's interesting it reminds me of a point that uh, one of my earlier bosses ever said Numbers are a funny thing. You can make them say whatever you want to. And I think sometimes what happens with all this data, data, sometimes you have data for data's sake. And it's just a bunch of numbers. And to your point, master storyteller, true. (laughs) Figuring out (laughs) which story is right is accurate, though. And so I think it's just as easy. They can be revelatory, but they can also be used to hide and as an excuse. And also... Um, for they catch just a specific number, in, right, a point in time, right, and they don't always take into consideration the entire context.
1: Yeah, completely. And that what that leads to is a particular type of narrative by a particular type of voice w- that creates a particular type of hierarchy of needs. We're told by governments and society these are the things that we should be aiming for, and so I think that people get to a point of anxiety that what well, I can't reach that, how am I going to reach that? This is what I should be reaching for rather than actually working out what's right for me. You know, your goals and measures of success may not be mine. And the same with businesses, you know, there's this whole, nobody wants to step off the hamster wheel and do some, or, or nobody wanted to step off the hamster wheel and do something different. I think that this pandemic, this current version of a pandemic has enabled people to go, oh, well, that's all gone. That's what The rules are broken. How are we going to do something different? That really takes into consideration the mental health and well-being of our people. I'm the chair of Mental Health First Aid England, a social enterprise here in the UK. And it's something that I talk about, that good mental health is a human right. And this is where we started. I think we started to see the switch, is that businesses started to talk about we need to make sure that we're looking after people's mental health and well-being. It also means that we should make sure that they have a better work-life balance rather than putting that on them to try and manage everything that we're doing, which is processes and not focus on outcomes and still hit the market share.
0: Well, and also what should we now be measuring and how do we define yeah. value and profit yeah. and And that the
1: language that's used, because we still talk about soft skills. Hard skills and soft skills makes you think that one is better than the other. They're both equally valid, and especially in this new world.
0: Exactly. And there are so many other skills that we don't even know we're going to need because of all of the evolution that's in the process of taking place. Right? Yeah. So, along those lines, that's a very nice segue, my friend. So, what, you know, <laughs> when you, you're great at that. So, what didn't happen so f- yet that you thought was going to over these last five years? And then on the flip side, what actually happened before you thought it was going to, if anything?
1: There have been some big societal moments that have made me go, oh my gosh, what? what the hell (laughs) Um, um that felt like we were really living in the truman show so trump bolsonaro brexit all of those things you know the rise of fascism far right all of those things in this world where we're still we're talking about climate change and climate anxiety and all of those things but you know i remember when trump came in to power and I took to my bed for a couple of days and just quietly watched what was happening and you know I still have this feeling that I felt sad more than anything because people could see who some of these leaders really are and still felt that they were their only hope that tells me how broken the systems are And that's where I think the difference is. Rather than focusing on vilifying people for their choices, people are just making, and I'm not making excuses, but people are making choices based on how they impact their immediate life. And most of that is in the short term. And so when I look at it from that perspective, I have a level of compassion for my fellow human. But I also have frustration. If you're asking what hasn't changed, the systems haven't changed because we still have this happening.
0: So it's really interesting. As you know, I just drove across the country from California and have settled here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I realized, wow, I've spent more time outside of my own country than I have inside. And making that trip really opened my eyes. And I completely understand why we are in the position that we're in. Because people aren't understanding outside of their reality. And that makes sense because times are hard and it's scary. But I think it's one of the reasons why I have to really start digging deep and asking the hard questions, right? Like this whole notion of normal. I don't want us to go, um, things going back to normal. <laughs> that's, a, that's a second conversation that we'll have. And I think it is a shame that people are also feeling so separate and so detached in a time now more than ever is the time for us really to come together. Forget about politics, blah, blah. You said it, climate.
1: Yeah. And that really, with the work that I'm doing and my co-founder Marcus Anderson are doing, is really getting people to recognize that what we need is a new hierarchy of needs. Because the existing one, which we could go into Maslow, where he got that and how that that was actually um, very, his whole process was very extractive, um, that there's this hierarchy of needs that actually puts the individual at the top. We're all aiming for self-actualization as if that's the nirvana that we all to get to. So everything that we work towards is that. But actually, if we look at Indigenous cultures, if we look at ancestral wisdom, if we look at living systems, what we understand is that the the most basic need is collective responsibility to the planet. Because without that, we won't have you know, the food, the shelter, all the, the things that are at the most base level of Maslow's hierarchy. Needs. We won't have them. So everybody has responsibility to the planet.
0: Well, and, and the thing that I think is a tie in there for business also is that, and um, we touched upon it briefly a little bit, but businesses are, are they're living systems. They're organisms. They're dynamic. Yep. They're supposed yes. to be. So the more you fight that, the more you mess up the work and you end up having essentially, frankly, a business climate crisis inside of every company, right?
1: Yeah. And we shouldn't be talking about businesses like well-oiled machines because they're not. That's the language of industrialization and many admit to what the history of those were. Some don't. But that is a particular mindset that is it's all about efficiency, And it doesn't really talk about the value and the impact of the outcomes, what goes into the system, how the system works and what comes out the other end. And that actually that whole thing should be cyclical. You know, I remember one of my mentors in a program over the summer talked about, nature creates no waste. Everything is used and recycled and put into, and maybe transformed and change identity. So if we know this, why are we not doing this? Why are we not replicating it in business? Well, I say, why not? There are many people doing it now, but I think that this current moment in time is making more people ask those questions of how can I do that?
0: Agreed. And what, I, what I'd love you to do now is to talk a little bit about art, because I think with that, when you start doing that evolutionary, right, um, the creativity and innovation is messy, and it isn't, sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's not. Uh, so I really think embracing that and making that, frankly, uh, um, an extraordinary force for good in business is imperative. The whole notion of adding the A to STEM, right?
1: Yeah. So, it, I mean, I think that that really begins with understanding what art is and what its purpose. So culture, to me is the collective umbrella of the lives, stories existence of people within that culture so and culture big c and then we have there are means of expressing that which art is one of those i say mathematics and all of those other things are other forms of that but it's really about understanding our relationship with the world and so that could be through song it could be through you know painting it could be through what have you but everything that helps us understand our relationship with other relationship with our environment and with ourselves is technology. You know, that's what we do. We use digital technology to understand relationship with self, other environment. Art is a form of communicating that. So could art really be a form of technology? Shamanism You know, when people go down the shamanic route, they use plant medicines and sound meditation to do the same thing. Understand relationship with self, other, and environment. To me, all of those things are trying to do the same thing. So they have equal value. It's only us and our egos that creates this. Well, Silicon Valley is better than Peru, you know, the the Coggy in Colombia.
0: Yeah, I think once everybody just starts opening their minds and their hearts up to doing things differently and realizing and get, frankly, getting inspiration from others. I always admired those who took uh, a practice from one kind of industry and then put it and tweaked it a bit to see how it could be put into place for their own industry. And I think that time is so ripe right now.
1: Yeah, to a point, but we also have a very long history of of, as humanity of colonization and extraction so taking something i wouldn't say taking something from another area i would say acknowledging the impact that that can have but including so don't use those people those societies those purely anthropological research that you extract and take and go well we've i've created this now you know taking things like yoga and calling it something else and branding it as something else without acknowledging the where it comes from means that it fundamentally shifts the Mm -hmm. idea of what that is, the understanding, the deeper knowledge. The same with technology. You know, we talk about blockchain, but there is a pre-colonial Mexican civilization, Tenochtitlan, that had what we would recognize as blockchain formation, but they used it. They had their floating gardens, which was agriculture. And they use what we recognise as blockchain to make sure that they have land and food and what have you. African and global South cultures will use a very similar framework for naming children so that you know that you are the son of the daughter of what have you. That's still blockchain. My co-founder, Marcus, and I, we talk about creating human blockchains because humans are the nodes. And if you create it in a particular way, you're creating trust and transparency. So yes, recognising uh, that there are benefits to doing it in the very different ways than historically we have done.
0: I've got a question for you. I had participated in a, a program. It was more a discussion conversation around how do we build and get it right properly <clears throat> from the get go? Uh, human communities on on as we start getting into you know where I'm headed outside other planet life, right? And how do we, how do we ensure that we don't have all the inequities and such? What are your thoughts on that? So, what do you mean by other
1: planet life? Uh, so,
0: well, so I mean, as people move in and then we start living in uh, on places like Mars or any other okay. potential planet, there's there's th- the goal, and it's it, this is really happening at NASA. I mean, when I found myself sitting there, I thought, we're really having this conversation, and this was. Two years ago, pre-COVID, and I thought uh, there's a little thing called climate crisis we ought to be talking about right now. But I still understand we also need to address the future.
1: So, first of all, the I think that our biggest e- our biggest problems are ego. Ugh. the universe is bigger than we can actually measure in our measurements, and so. But then we still feel that we are the only sentient beings in the galaxy. We may not recognize other things as being sentient, but they are, you know, that, and so then to think that, the, and then think about the language that we use, colonize, let's go and colonize Mars or where, where have you. It's yeah. the same mentality, the same mindset. So to go out there and to take a flag and say, I t- claim this in the name of whichever country, whichever political party, what have you sets it off in a bad precedent. it's the wrong way of doing things it's recognizing that um who is it it's a beautiful book by david abram called the spell of the sensuous and i remember i was it's one of my favorite books and i remember reading this line that just blew me away That he says we are only human in conviviality with that which is not human because we are only you know we're only there we only recognise our humanity in relation to other. But if we're going at it from a, we are the greatest species out there, we own everything, it, the, the planet is here to serve us, well, we're doomed. And I think that we need to recognise that, back to your point earlier, that we are part of a living, breathing, sentient uh, living system. And what that means is that we have an impact on our environment and our environment has an impact on us. And we create this symbiotic relationship of constant regeneration and creation, but we are taking it a step further and going, well, it's here to serve us with deforestation, all of this stuff. And now we're going, oh, we need to plant more trees. <laughs> because that's what the trees are there for, just to make sure that to, to clear up our mess up.
0: Ex- exactly you know it's so funny uh i think it's really true one of the characteristics that i appreciate a lot in people especially in leaders is humility and with humility means you give up your ego and i was just actually having a conversation with myself on the phone, um this morning when i was driving in, going through some some situations that are happening and i caught myself oh, <laughs> And I thought, why am I holding on so tight? And I, you know, and just remembering that that suffering is optional. And when we
1: let go, well, sometimes it's not. I I was going to add that we forget that there is beauty in chaos. We feel that we have to control everything. And we have to, if we can't give it a label or a value, a numerical value, then we We kind of dismiss it.
0: No, it's so true. What what I try to say whenever I find myself in that space is, okay, stop, take a beat. And how is this happening for me, not to me? What is the silver lining? What am I being given the opportunity to practice? Or be reminded or be a little more humble about, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have a practice where... And it's it's been I've been doing it for years, where rather than saying, Oh, I made a mistake, I say, Well, you know what? I ch- I made I made a choice based on the information I chose to believe was true at that time. And would I now make different choices based on hindsight and all these sorts of things and the fact that I'm a very different person now? Probably, but that would lead me down a different path. And so the choices I made at that time engineered a particular type of serendipity that has led me to this point and now i can i can't go back i can only go forward i can learn from the past i can't change it. i don't have a time machine not yet maybe somebody you know somebody working on it i mean some those ones that are flying off to colonize other planets are probably trying to work on time machines as well but who knows yeah yeah
0: so do, what do you think are the most important topics that people should be thinking about, or just if there were three that you could bring to light that are that you're thinking about that you think would be um, worth a walk in the you know a walk along a beach and giving some thought to and practice to?
1: I number one living systems, definitely living systems because we talk about ecosystems and business systems and networks and you know people talk about networking and all sorts of things and blockchain and all of these things i really do believe that we should really understand living systems and not in a biomimicry way not just taking but actually looking because again that's extractive and mimicking and what have you but i do believe that nature's created everything and that there are the lessons that we can learn so for our business what we're doing is looking at how do we create a business model that replicates the way that nature ensures that water still flows? Because it, it will make sure that it's happening. So how, why can we not look at how we do that? It's, I, I did, over the some earlier in the year, I did a 12 week course with Frio Capra, who's a systems philosopher, who has this amazing concept around living systems and was able to talk about it from a perspective of, well, this is how money would flow in an organisation. And this is what leadership looks like in a living system. And this is what it happens down to a microscopic level. And then you, so you zoom in and then you can zoom back out and go, OK, I get this. So that's one. Another would be, instead of focusing, and this could be quite controversial, but instead of focusing on the glass ceiling, focus on how do we create a level of stability for those for whom the floor is constantly moving? There's a level of instability that most people don't even recognise, don't even know that a glass ceiling exists. And those are the people that, you know, societies will say are minorities or othered in some way. But actually this whole pandemic has taught us that all of us are subject to the ground opening up and the rug being pulled from under us and everything going all over the place. And we as humans revert to a particular type of behaviour of hoarding and grabbing and it's mine but if we understand and closed, and so business ideas innovation doesn't happen in those closed containers because at some point something is going to bubble over or the container will break but if you open that up like you said to your earlier that ability to breathe and slow down and say so, and look up i think that understanding that will help us with that and the third one Is this okay to not be okay? I think that we spend so much time going, oh, I have to be on top of this. I have got to be on top, I can't stop. But actually, to your point about vulnerability, it's okay to not be okay. We are still coming through this and there is a lot, there are spikes in mental health crisis that we are seeing in our organization that we are starting to predict will be happening. Then we talk about there's the impact of climate change. So the impact of the climate crisis and climate trauma on our autonomic nervous system, which means our flight and flight systems are skewed, which means that we're having spikes in diagnoses of ADHD and autism and all of those things that are, I believe, are directly impacted to the climate crisis and our response to it. So recognizing it's okay to not be okay, and then we think about what we do.
0: And I think along that last point is understanding that coming forth with compassion so that when someone is showing up a certain way, you do not automatically make assumptions that something is going on, it was something you did personally, and or just um, give them
1: well it's not always about us and you know we're all guilty of it and I think that that's where a lot of the imposter syndrome comes from as well that we going back to the point I made earlier we're comparing ourselves to others and to other successes and then and don't get me wrong I do public speaking all the time and I always have stage fright I always have that oh my gosh what am I doing blah 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 my hands are sweating everything but (laughs) I do also recognize that that's also I'm comparing and yep. that, that comparing is making myself the center of that universe and going, well, oh my gosh, I'm going to do it wrong and blah, 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 rather than what do I want people to take away from this?
0: Exactly. And how can I help and how can I serve is always my thing. That's what I started like, catching myself. So talk a little bit about your work with uh, Buckminster Fuller. I really respect him, his, the work, the ph- philosophy, the foundation itself. So share a little bit about that.
1: So I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Amanda Joy Ravenhill, who's the CEO director of the Buckminster Fuller Institute a few years ago. And she kept she and I kept in touch with work and what have you. And then um, an organization called Ritual created a design science studio program in conjunction with the Buckminster Fuller Institute and the University of California Irvine. And what that was or is rather because they're on their second cohort now is they bring together 144 artists from around the world to look at how we can use art and technology to help us recognize and mitigate and deal with our relationship with climate crisis and with systems. So it's this understanding of we are part of a living system and there is a role for technology and there is a role for art in those worlds. Buckminster Fuller was brilliant. However, he also does acknowledge, and not enough is spoken about the fact that he also acknowledges that much of what he got is from Indigenous cultures. Mm. So, yes, we talk about Buckminster Fuller and people hear his name, but there's not, and this is what I'm trying to do, is make sure that 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 narrative doesn't stop there, but we go back and recognise where it came from. But what he's talking about, living systems, is the very fabric of many Indigenous, and even the word Indigenous is a whole another com- topic of conversation, but the First Nation peoples, that it's about understanding our symbiotic relationship with other, and other doesn't have to just be human. And so recognising that, that going on a microscopic level, going back to fractals and microbes and, you know, DNA and all of these things... That's the system thinking, that's living systems. So my role there was, was a, as an artist in residence, and I was working on a particular project and it ended up being, during the first lockdown, I recognised a pattern. That was that the link between colonialism, capitalism and climate change is the ego because we will say that we want to do green, we want to, you know, we want to be sustainable and we want to do all these things and we're going to turn vegan and I'm going to wear hemp and I'm going to do all these things. And yet (laughs) we will still fly to Bali to do a yoga retreat because we can, because somehow it makes us better than everybody else who can't do it. And so I went, that's the issue. And so created this project called the myth of the ego, which was really getting us to understand that it's our ego that is making us make all these decisions and creating these values. And so I created a soundscape, 25 minute soundscape that takes people on a pseudo shamanic journey of your relationship with climate change. So you go into a shamanic cave, you have this experience, and then suddenly you hear the sound of deforestation and forest fires and all of this stuff that takes you through. And it's quite emotive. But what it does is at the end of it, it gets people to think, oh God, what am I doing? What's my role in this? How have I impacted this or not? And what I do is whenever I'm producing a piece of work or a talk, I always go back to the same quote. And I use it just for me, which is the purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon. Hmm. and so that is what stops me going into spaces and going I am the expert I know best no I don't I'm really good at asking great questions
0: wow I love that and I love the fact that you utilized audio because to me I don't know why that really gets inside me right and that sound I guess probably resonates with all the the various chakra yeah. systems.
1: So I looked at frequencies and there's particular frequencies and there's a the sound of a heartbeat running through it. And what happens is that people first of all think it's their heartbeat, but it isn't, but their heartbeat is out of step. And so the mm-hmm. more they listen, they suddenly realize that their heartbeat ends up being in step with the heartbeat of the soundscape. And so they become very relaxed. And so yeah. the reason that I use sound is because language is a barrier, verbal language can be a barrier. We have our own understanding of what a particular word means based on our relationship with it. And so if I was to ask you what's innovation, you would have a very different answer than somebody else. And so I wanted to remove all of that, but also recognise that as humans, our first means of communication was sound. And so it's taken it back to that very base, very primal, it removes any possibility of hierarchy because we all have a relationship with it.
0: Now, what happens with those who are deaf, aren't able to hear, they still feel, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So deliberately use spatial audio and vibrations, and so it's still a work in progress with that. But the other thing that I'm doing now is that I've started painting. Um, And I haven't painted since school. My therapist recommended as a way of communicating, and so what I've been doing is just painting pure emotion. And so it's you know, I don't have an idea of what it's going to be, but I paint the emotion that comes out. And now, what I've discovered is there are some apps that allow me to animate those, so you'll have a painting that slowly rotates. And a couple of people who are psychotherapists have re- realized that. Actually, this is also another way of grounding people. So I do think in a multi-sensory way and want to be as inclusive as possible and also make it so whatever I make so that it can scale. So you don't have to have an Oculus Rift to be able to experience this. And you don't need to you know, have the the biggest dial-up Wi-Fi you know, connection, but you can still get something from it.
0: And this is exactly why I hope that arts programs are increasing in education because they're one of the greatest opportunities for inclusivity, quite frankly, right? Yeah.
1: My father is Igbo, Nigerian, and there is a Igbo concept called Mbari, M-B-A-R-I. And what that means is that it's art as a form of citizenship. So what happens is, there's a particular celebration, time of year when they celebrate their particular goddess, Orisha, and mm. people have to come together to build a shrine and towards that. What they do is they will choose individuals from the village. Those people go and live in a house together and they build this shrine and this recognition. And that form of art is a form of their citizenship. And so that's one of the things that Marcus and I are doing with the business is getting that understanding that we create this separation of art is over there and it's only done by particular people and the only particular people can value it and so it creates this elitism which is why when budgets are then cut okay you're cutting basically the lifeblood of our societies and the means of communication that is more inclusive than the load of statistics and so that's another way of flipping it
0: yeah well oh my gosh okay Last, last piece, okay? what are you going to encourage people to do there's there's and the reason why I say this is um in talking with the community, so many people are are hungry they they love to hear and to speak and be inspired, but everyone is. Uh, essentially we've done so much talking now what can there's got to be something I can do even on a small level so any thoughts on that front would be terrific for the doers in the group
1: the first personal life hack is shut down and choose your favorite album put on some headphones and do not do anything until you've listened to that album from cover to cover Because if we can't, if we get anxious about the thought of doing that, something's wrong. You know, we need to be able to slow down to that pace where we are just, and you exhale. Because that means that you will see things from a very different perspective. So I think that is a very personal hack for people to do. And you can do it anytime and anywhere. But don't put the headphones on and listen to it and try and do computers. No, stop. Give yourself that gift of time and reconnection with something that feeds you. And then step outside your echo chamber. Don't go to the same sources that you've always been going to. Those trusted sources, they may be great, but if you're going to the same place all the time, nothing's changing. Get to understand other people's lives, existence, their idea of what technology is those you know we talked about decentralization step outside your bubble and ask people bring those groups together this is what we're doing create we've created these collabs to bring these different voices ideas perspectives together to redefine the problem because if only tech bros in silicon valley are defining the problem it's only going to have a particular. Perspective and then designing artificial intelligence will only be a particular way. We spend so much time trying to intellectualize and redefine a problem, say, Well, I know that this is what the problem is for people in South Asia, or I know what the problem is for. No, we don't. We're making assumptions. Bring those voices together. That's what we're doing. That's what we're encouraging people to do. let go of the ego and i go i'm going to be the one that solves everything i'm going to be the one that you know discovers this breakthrough we will be the ones that do it
0: yeah the we piece is huge yeah these are way too big the problems we have at this point the issues even if we didn't the celebrations we have how fun is it to celebrate by yourself right so i think the sooner we start working
1: I mean, look, we've all been in various forms of lockdown. And what were we all craving? Human contact. We would have Zoom parties and, you know, all sorts of things. But the minute we got the opportunity to hug other people, we were all over that. It didn't matter who you were. People were hugging and crying and all sorts of things. So it just proves that we need others. We need that just to even feel, recognise ourselves. So that's why it should be a we.
0: Awesome. So I'm going to add, go hug somebody too.
1: Yes. Well, with consent, because not everybody wants yeah, to course, be hugged. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is a thing that we've got to a space now where it's okay. We can ask, we should, we, we should have always done that. But we now, are you okay with hugging? Because we're worried about what are people feeling around COVID and, you know, same thing we should have done in the first place
0: exactly let me just oof, take your whole energy yeah. like, oh my gosh i just need a hug oh my gosh well listen out of paris cultural shaman and so much more thank you so much i really appreciated the time talking and i'm for the everybody i'm just going to say thank you for doing all the work that you're doing and um the world is definitely going to be more open and more humble and just a better place in general and it is with you in it but with all that you're sharing And your generosity of spirit and heart. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And if anybody's interested, please do come find me online, have a conversation. I'm always open to to that because we need to do this together and people act as mirrors for each other.
0: Absolutely true. And it's going to take a few tries. So exactly. That's going to be the part of it. That's the fun. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. I look forward to one day with your consent, giving you a hug.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely.
0: Wonderful. All right. Take care and have a terrific
1: week. Thank you. And you.
0: This is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with tech and impact investor leader and token economy visionary, Charlie Kleisner, where we'll talk about AI, tokens, new financial systems and consciousness. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May tenth to the thirteenth, twenty twenty-two.